Chapter Twenty of the Untempered Wind by Joanna Wood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. When some beloved voice that was to you both sound and sweetness faileth suddenly, and silence against which you dare not cry aches round you like a strong disease and new, what hope, what help, what music will undo that silence to your sense? I'll tell you, hopeless grief is passionless. It was the season of the half-yearly revival meetings in Jamestown. The little Methodist church filled rapidly. There was a soupçon of pleasurable excitement about a revival, which was very enticing to the youth of Jamestown. Besides, all the steady young men were expected to go, and they always did what was expected of them mrs deans came in with the minister her face with its self-important expression irradiated with the glow of spiritual as well as worldly well-being she had proffered her bid for the company of the officiating ministers in good season and the first of them had been knocked down to her in consequence much to the chagrin of the mesdames white wilson disney and the rest for they knew that the second minister on the list was an old personal friend of mrs dean's and would doubtless elect to stay at her house thus they would have no opportunity to display their pious zeal and forehanded housekeeping mrs dean's self-complacency was veiled but not obscured by an anxious air as who would say i am not free of responsibility if all does not go off well it is a weakness of such women to consider themselves divinely appointed judges of the souls of their neighbors and friends the minister with her was pretty well hidden among the cluster of men and women to whom mrs deans was introducing him she introduced him with discrimination however she did not propose giving any one the chance of prefixing a remark with the other night when i was speaking to mr hardman or mr hardman said to me the other day unless she felt quite sure the recipient of the honor was worthy of it but to her consternation mr hardman broke bounds past the confines of the little group of important church members and went out from one to another of the men and women picking out with the unerring divination of a man whose heart is in sympathy with the sorrows rather than the joys of mankind the oldest most forlorn most miserable-looking of his prospective hearers to see the minister thus throwing away the apostolic benediction of his smile upon old Ann lemon and clem humphreys whilst mrs white stood with uplifted nose in the doorway unnoticed was an unholy thing more particularly as mrs white willing to have her discomfiture shared by some one else turned to mrs deans with a surprised air and said why i thought the minister was with you so he is mrs deans was fain to avow we came a few minutes ago he is great on missions i think and young the latter half of her sentence was given in the tone of a hostess who excuses a guest for the rest it is probable that both ladies regarded his present occupation as distinctly a missionary effort 
Presently the minister straightened himself and proceeded up the aisle to the platform. Mrs. Dean's expression changed from an anxious, proprietary one to one of spiritualized commiseration. Was the misguided man actually going to begin service without asking one word about the ordinary routine of services in Jamestown Methodist Church? If so, he would make a fine hash of it. Besides, she had not informed him that a collection was to be taken up to defray the cost of extra lighting, etc., and she had promised Mr. White at class meeting to do so. She had thought of telling Mr. Hardman, but preferred waiting until the minister sought for information before imparting it. His opportunity for that was now past, unless, indeed, he descended from the platform to do so. A pleasing thrill, inspired by this idea, turned to a chill as she saw Mr. Hardman take from his pocket a well-thumbed and shabby little testament, and, opening it, seemed to find a place. Then he laid it down, open, upon the big church Bible, and rose to pray. Mrs. Dean's expression of anxiety was now unalleviated by any spiritual exaltation. It was unvariegated gloom. Any man who could disregard the gilt edges, thick covers, and ornate binding of that book, and leave it closed, whilst he read from what her experienced eye told her was a Bible Society testament that probably cost ten cents, was certainly in need of anxious watching. Nor was it to be supposed that a discourse begun upon lines like these would be productive of much good. How many sermons she had heard rounded off by the banging of those covers together! How many final injunctions had been given a dramatic and artistic interest by the holding of that book, half open, ready to put a period to the peroration by a sanctified thud! Well, Mrs. Deans sighed audibly. Mr. Hardman began to read in a deep and sympathetic voice. He was a tall man of twenty-eight, muscularly built but not brawny. His studies had been too close to admit of that. He had square shoulders, rather higher than they should be, and rounded with the stoop that the scholar and the ploughman share. His hands, as he raised them in infrequent gestures, were seen to be rather broad and short, hands, it would seem, of a mechanic, but not toil-stained. Indeed, their whiteness so ill agreed with their shape that a sense of something incongruous forced itself upon one when looking at them. His hair was almost black, and was tossed and disarranged by his habit of running his fingers through it. His face was pale. His brow was square and overhanging, of the penthouse order, rather forbidding. The brow inherited from a generation of toilers, men who, from their own bleak corner of the world, looked forth at the panorama of life with sombre eyes, entrenching themselves behind a barrier of silent endurance, concealing their weakness, their wants, their hopes and fears, their few joys and pitiful ambitions, behind an impenetrable mask, until it would seem that their lineaments adjusted themselves to their mental attitudes, and this, 
their son presented to the world this square brow strong secret sad but its sternness and alas a great deal of its strength was negatived by the eyes which looked out from beneath it very dark gray these eyes were and made eloquent by the expression of infinite love and sympathy for his kind but their dilating pupils evidenced an emotional nature and they were somewhat too soft for a man yet looking in steady kindness at the world they often seemed fit eyes for a strong calm soul but philip hardman felt himself neither calm nor strong as he looked upon the expectant faces of those before him the doubt which was gnawing at the heartstrings of belief suddenly seemed to grip his own heart and brain and threaten each he had no message to give these people what were they there for was it not all a myth and a delusion was it then he broke the spell which held him and his words rushed forth his congregation stirred and swayed and yielded not to persuasion for of that there was none not to the minister's personality for they had forgotten him not in the hope of reward for he spoke but of wrath and pitiless requital of sin and merciless judgment and endless woe they yielded to their own fears for this man was lashing his own soul with the copyrighted invective of his sect pronouncing against himself and as in the midst of his mental agony he realized against all mankind a doom of woe and wrath if they did not believe he strove to terrify his own soul into the submission it denied and strove to awaken in the people before him a reflex of the emotion he fain would feel they responded to his words but not to his feeling they wept and abased themselves because of the fear not because they feared unbelief cold drops trickled down mrs dean's face and bedabbled her second-best bonnet strings mrs wilson grew almost hysterical anne lemon wondered vaguely if she had the horrors and held on to the pew with both hands whilst she looked about her with bewildered lacklustre eyes clem humphreys sat outwardly unmoved but inwardly vowing if he once got out of this he'd never be wheedled into a revival meeting again the younger men thought revival meetings no slouch as gamaliel deans expressed it and comparing the excitement with that of a cock-fight he had attended sub rosa in the old brewery he decided in favor of the revival the minister's voice failed and faltered like all magnetic natures his exhausted itself he paused looked at the men and women before him and realizing the shallowness of their facile emotions felt the pall of self-disgust envelop his soul a horrible contempt for himself and them even for the religion that had inspired this mental debauch overwhelmed him he shuddered as he realized the impiousness of his own thought left the platform went swiftly down the aisle and out into the darkness 
mr white closed the meeting and prayed enthusiastically for the young brother who had so awakened them and ended amid a chorus of ejaculations mrs deans finding herself so agreeably disappointed went home content she wished to-morrow night were come what crises of emotion might not be expected then she found mr hartman pacing the veranda slowly his brow bare to the stars his frame was relaxed and weary his eyes tired he refused any refreshment and long into the night mrs deans heard him pacing back and forth another night had come and philip hardman was again to stand before an assembly of his fellows and voice the truths they held eternal mrs deans had no doubts now as to his competency she anticipated an exciting struggle with spiritual foes and the better to gird herself for the fray went early leaving mr hardman to follow she felt this implied a delicate compliment to the preacher recognizing in it a simulacrum of john the baptist's mission in the wilderness so philip hardman was left to walk the mile from the dean's farmhouse to the village alone it was evening late evening in summer the air was filled with that indefinite receptive murmur the earth gives forth as it opens its pores to the dew without wind there was yet a sense of motion in the atmosphere at once calming and exhilarating it brought a keen sense of the fact that the world is rushing through space with its puny burden of men and their works the sun had set but the western sky was radiant with an amber afterglow against which the tree-tops in mr dean's woodland showed a mass of dark billowy green the light behind them intensifying the depth of their color so that they showed somberly against the sky before him stretched the dusty road the grass at either side parched by the heat now and then a maple overshadowed him now and then he startled nested birds from out the low-growing trees of the wild plum he walked swiftly the grasshoppers and little whirring insects and dragonflies flitting about his path at a turn in the road where mr dean's land joined mr white's was wedged in the little cemetery of jamestown it was fenced with sharp-pointed palings over which the native virgin bower clematis clung in feathery festoons just blossoming out in fragile greenish-white flowers within he saw the untidy graves and inebriated gravestones of a country churchyard those slanting stones and graves almost obliterated by masses of periwinkle and white-leaved balm and ribbon grass appealed to him strongly he looked at his watch he had started in fair time but lost in thought had walked very quickly he had time to linger a few minutes here perhaps amid the graves of jamestown's dead he might learn the open sesame to the hearts of the living he entered through a gap in the palings pushing his way through a little thicket of thorny locust bushes that had sprung up in a scattered cluster the graves were nearly all marked by gravestones 
in jamestown it was considered a mark of respectability to erect a memorial to one's dead but this done all care for their graves ceased philip hardman walked about noting the weather-beaten grayness of the older stones and reading their inscriptions almost mechanically one broad thin slab with a weeping willow sculptured upon it bore a legend in memory of amelia warner beloved wife of josiah warner aged sixteen years poor little wife in the fifty years of her rest her grave had sunken almost level with the path the lichen on the stone was striving to obliterate her name there even as it had been long ago forgotten upon earth a wild hawthorn bush was springing from under one corner of her tombstone and tilting it over perilously some of the more recent graves had odd little jingles of original rhyme carven upon their stones one of but a year before bore the brief prayer too human for its glistening coldness meet me in heaven hardman read the name on this grave with a little start jenny best wife of william best yesterday mrs deans had pointed out william best and his new-made bride how futile and absurd the little legend seemed but jenny best slept as securely and as sweetly as though her husband still cherished in his inmost heart these last words of hers and walked as though he hoped to realize them instead of writing them upon her tombstone and marrying within a year of her death there were graves of old and young in this little churchyard men and women boys and girls infants of days and men of many years beneath one stone slept seven friends who perished in the yacht foam off the coast a narrow space truly for seven to occupy set in this out-of-the-way village seven such as these who had hoped to fill great places in the world before their lives were laughed out by the little ripples of the lake the shadows lengthened gleaming through the dusk hardman noticed a white stone with gilt lettering homer wilson was the name it bore but it meant nothing to the preacher only he sighed as he noted the age of the man sleeping there and a half-envious thought crossed him as he looked around that these had completed their journey philip hardman turned his steps to the road again but he paused yet once more close under the shadow of the high stone wall which bounded the graveyard on the village side he almost stumbled over a woman's figure which in the deepening gloom he had not observed she was almost prone beside a little mound whereon the sods had not yet taken root the woman's arms were outstretched toward the grave almost embraced it her whole attitude spoke eloquently of a hopeless and passive despair hardman stopped a moment irresolutely she had not observed him you are in great trouble he said bending down and touching her shoulder yes she answered raising her head without a start yes 
her voice was painfully constrained the words seemed to issue with difficulty and the tones were harsh speech seemed strangely dissonant with the hour and place her mute despair seemed the only fitting emotion for the scene her eyes from out a pallid face looked up at him filmed by misery her cheeks were hollowed in delicate shadows her pale lips drooped she seemed the mourning spirit of the place come and pray he said looking at her with infinite pity in his kind eyes come he urged he waited for her reply but none came she was sitting by the grave now her hands locked round her knees her eyes looking hungrily into vacancy and seeing neither hope nor recompense for her pain a bat held its angled flight past them he roused himself to a sense of time he looked down upon the woman at his feet an expression of ineffable compassion lit his face then he turned to go as his eyes left that pallid face the scene seemed to darken suddenly he realized the lateness of the hour and finding his way out of the graveyard strode rapidly to the church after all he was in time indeed had a few minutes to spare he did not however again shock mrs deans by a promiscuous friendliness he went straight to the platform and sat down behind the reading-desk his thoughts reverted to the woman whom he had just seen and he felt he ought to have made a more eloquent appeal to her to come to church mental habit led him to decide at once that prayer was the only efficacious cure for grief such as hers it was thus with this man always in calm moments when all went well with him he strove to elucidate those problems of reason and right which presented themselves to him in season and out of season strove to live a life of austere truth without factitious aid of self-delusion without hope of ultimate reward but in times of distress or pain whether his own or others he turned again to his old beliefs and prayer appealed to him as the only panacea orthodox folk plead this as a triumphant and sure vindication of the truth of their creeds it may be in some cases but in philip hardman's it was only the result of inherent weakness of will and vacillating decision and alas a cowardly shrinking from mental torture face to face with grief such as this woman's he could not bear to look the inevitability of such bereavements in the face could not endure to think of the irreparable loss of a vanished life could not calmly recognize one single instance of what he was ever mourning over the sadness and futility of life he must hallow each blow as a merciful dispensation muffle it from prying eyes with the tabooed veil of sacred predestination set it beyond close scrutiny by asserting to himself the impiety of questioning divine will and at such times the beauty of his solacing faith lit in his soul fresh fervor for the cause for a few moments philip hardman sat motionless 
the hands of the clock reached the hour for service to begin his audience settled themselves in the pews and stilled themselves to attention mrs deans ostentatiously ceased her whispered remarks to mrs wilson straightened herself in her seat looked about with a critical and judicial eye and then convinced that all was well hemmed several times expectantly philip hardman rose and in brief words asked for divine guidance through the service he ceased the bowed heads were raised he was about to begin the reading of the scriptures when silently slowly myron holder entered the open door and advancing only to the nearest seat which happened to be in the farthest back pew sat down so quiet were her movements that save by a few of the young men who had taken the rear seats the better to observe the antics of the elect she was unobserved philip hardman however had seen her he changed his intention of reading and announced a hymn instead he wanted a few minutes to familiarize himself with that tragic face before attempting to utter any message of love or hope to the woman who had thus obeyed his suggestion while the singing went on he looked at his audience and in a flash their narrow sordid often miserable lives seemed revealed to him these were the people he had lashed with spiritual fears the night before as he recalled it his heart smote him with terrible reproach his eyes grew dim as he looked at the people before him and saw shining through their midst the pallid face of myron holder by what strange chance had this woman come to jamestown for he decided at once she was no native of the village the purely cut martyr face the broad brow sensitive lips and cameo-like nostrils were too utterly unlike the other faces in the church to be for one moment associated with them there came to him a fantastic thought that this woman was sent to bear the griefs of this village even as one long since the carpenter's son had borne the griefs of the world and become a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief but alas this woman had no divine message to give instead she was wandering in the wilderness of hopeless despair but and hardman's hand tightened on his testament a message she should have other refuge have i none hangs my helpless soul on thee leave o oh, leave me not alone o oh, protect and comfort me so they sang philip hardman found his place all my hopes on thee are stayed all my wants to thee i bring cover my defenceless head with the shadow of thy wing wrapped in an infinite sorrow for his kind inspired by the need of this woman of help exalted by the dependence and confidence expressed in the hymned words seeing in all his audience but one pallid face philip hardman rose to speak 
this choosing of a subject upon the spur of the moment to meet the needs of one woman was no disadvantage to him for he was a fluent and ready speaker and his whole training had been that spontaneity was absolutely essential he had none of the measured method that develops a subject into three heads and an application the evangelistic sect to which he belonged abjures notes and hops along to the halting cadence of a quasi-inspiration happily however it has now and then a man like philip hartman whose words flow freely forth and never so eloquently as when heart and sympathies are touched hardman was never at a loss for words of his own to translate his feelings into language but this night his sermon was but the enunciation of a sweet and comforting doctrine uttered in the language of the book which has preserved it come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest he said and held out as a free gift the inestimable boon of peace i will not leave you comfortless uttered in his vibrant tones bore the assurance of divinest aid let not your heart be troubled he voiced as a sacred command to cease from grief and then the general invitation let whosoever will drink of the water of life freely with these words as a thesis a human heart to be comforted a soul alight with belief and confidence a rare natural eloquence to frame his plea was there any wonder that the sermon was effective any wonder that to the weary heart of the listening woman it appealed almost irresistibly perhaps philip hardman dwelt too exclusively upon the blessings of his religion ignored too utterly the thorn in the crown offered it too freely avowed it too confidently but what will you even the greatest purists in religious faith find it hard to disabuse their minds of the idea that martyrdom means and merits the kingdom and philip hardman's theology was not of the sternest sort he felt somehow that this woman had suffered enough to win heaven whether she merited it in other respects or not so he set himself to present his faith to her in the most glowing aspect always seconding his message with his eyes just as philip hardman saw but one face in his audience so myron holder was after the first few moments unconscious of any other presence save his her eyes had won a straight path to his face between the heads and shoulders and her gaze never faltered there was a tall white shaded lamp on each side of the desk as she looked his figure in strong relief against the light blue background of the walls seemed to absorb and radiate the light it was simply an ordinary optical effect and myron holder herself recognized vaguely that it was only the light and yet that pale irradiation around his head seemed to add a dignity and sanctity to the man and lend his utterance a deeper higher import 
her eyes never left his face that kind weak face so full of contradictions whose beetling brow seemed ready to do battle for his faith whose lips quivered with the feeling in his own voice her eyes were hot and dilated from the long strain when with hands upraised above the standing people he uttered the benediction peace i leave with you my peace i give unto you not as the world giveth give i unto you let not your heart be troubled neither let it be afraid amen philip hardman descended from the platform and strove to make his way toward myron but he was hemmed in by outstretched hands and had to make his way slowly through a throng all eager to say good-bye for he left on the morrow myron was just stepping out of the shelter of the porch when he overtook her he held out his hand which she took her own toil-hardened one trembling in the clasp of his softer fingers he looked down at her and spoke with great gentleness did you take the message i gave you to-night is it for me she asked surely he answered you do not know me you cannot tell if you knew whosoever will he replied with steady emphasis and in his heart he marveled at the humbleness of this woman whose candid brow and clear eyes bespoke her life then the man mingling with the priest in him he continued still more gently the message is even to the greatest sinner to see you is to know you have the right of one of the least she put up two hands clasped in miserable deprecation her cheeks flamed red an instant then paled to a ghastly white she turned silently and swiftly went down two steps of the broad entrance stair then pausing and looking back at him with a gaze such as one might fix upon the flames before he steps into them she said clearly ask mrs deans who myron holder is she slipped away the gloom of the unlighted street absorbing her figure as though it gathered to itself its righteous belonging End of chapter twenty